You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us, Bruce Ouellette. And Bruce is uh, with Bakerson. He's the founder and visionary of the company Bakerson. Uh, he's based out of Cape Creek, Arizona. He's been in multifamily for, you know, gosh, almost 20 years, right, Bruce? Been in real estate 20 years, multifamily for about seven, yeah. Okay, real estate for, you know, about 20 years and, you know, good time in multifamily. And, you know, today we're going to talk about, you know, he's got about a thousand units and 20, you know, multifamily deals. Um, before that, he was in single family rentals, SFRs. Um, and today, you know, we're recording this kind of uh, early Q2 of 2022. And, you know, a lot going on right now uh, with interest rates rising um, and, you know, uh, macroeconomic conditions um, that are different from where they were in 2021 are starting to become different. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about how Bruce is preparing um, for potential future opportunities in this market. What is he doing to protect himself and his investors? And just what does he see, you know, the state of the market going forward? So thanks for coming on, Bruce. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. I'm looking forward to the, to the conversation. Great. Uh, so, you know, given your background in multifamily, you know, you got almost a thousand units right now and only doing the seven years, it's a pretty short amount of time to gather that many units. So what do you guys focus on, focusing on in terms of what type of asset class in multifamily and uh, what type of risk profile are you looking for? And, you know, how are you adjusting your return profile or are you not doing anything or are you raising cash? Um you know, when interest rates are rising and market dynamics are changing from the past couple of years? Yeah, well, the, the biggest thing was we're continuing to stick within our buy box. Our buy box is, you know, under 100, under 150 units, under 20 million, um, class C workforce. And our focus is the, what we call the permanent resident, one who may never own a home, like to live in one. And it's, uh, you know, they're above the poverty line, but they're below, you know, lower middle class, upper lower class. It's kind of the, the primary focus. And in this current economic cycle that we're in, it feels to be, and I think it's mathematically proven to be the, the most underserved demo, uh, economic demographic is the lower middle class and upper lower class. They're getting priced out of so many markets, such as Phoenix, uh, where I live, you know, we live in the Phoenix Metro, and it's difficult for them to find places to rent. So we're seeing that as our primary focus, 60s to 70s build, a um, lot of deferred maintenance, high high vacancy is preferred, um, which is really hard to find in Phoenix. So we haven't bought in Phoenix for some time. We're uh, pursuing now in New Mexico and Texas. Uh, we're able to see some some opportunities that, that fit our buy box. And as far as the, the current conditions, we're seeing interest rates are rising. Uh, the good news is that cost of equity, especially if you get into some preferred equity, some, some institutional equity, those costs are coming down a little bit and then rents are going up. So right now those are being covered. So for the foreseeable future, I think we'll be fine where the prices are going to continue to rise some, uh, especially in the hotter, hotter growing markets. Uh, but is it sustainable? That's the question that we don't know. And instead of saying, yes, it is, or no, it isn't, or this is what the market's going to do. We just know that markets are cyclical. We are going to see a downturn. We are going to see economic impact. 
I think it's, it's important to always be prepared. Uh, my mentor is a very wise investor. He's got 50 plus years experience in multifamily and he continues to buy cash flow. So right now we're seeing operators that are buying Performa and selling Performa. And there's you know, probably nothing wrong with that business model. It's just not my business model. To me, it's very risky. So we're going to focus on buying cash flow. And Anthony, I'm sure you're aware that buying cash flow right now is very difficult because people are profit taking and they're selling future, selling their, their values, their property on future income. And there's enough investors that are willing to, to do that right now. But eventually the merry, merry ground is going to stop. And we'll have to, at that point, analyze where we're at and whether or not we're able to financially um, be stable enough to get through the a downed market. And I think it's important for us to look at that. Yeah, and talk to us a little bit more about that in terms of your, what type of debt structures are you putting on your deals as of right now? You know, especially if you're looking for just income producing properties, are you, you know, what's your general unit size you're looking at? Because as you know, you mentioned institutional capital, the higher unit counts you get under one transaction, you know, you have a lot of lower cost capital providers chasing those opportunities. So they're able to pay higher numbers than, you know, private individuals or, you know, private companies like Bakerson. Um, so, you know, what type of archetype um, for the asset class are you, you, know, you mentioned workforce housing, but, um, you know, any deal size you're trying to stay under or over, um, what does that look like? Yeah, under 150 units, um, we've done, you know, in, in our history, anything from six uh, to 120 units. We have 152, 152 unit in, in escrow right now. So we're, uh, that'll be our largest one, but most of them are under 100 units. And the 75 to, to 100 seem to be good in a sense of, uh, you know, the staffing. You have, you have one property manager and one, uh, you know, one, one, yeah, one property manager on site and then a, uh, a maintenance person on site at 75 units. And then a hundred, you might have one and a half, you know, some part-time. And you, once you have multiple properties in a, in a market, you can share. Um, but I do like smaller ones as well. We will buy 30 to 40 unit buildings if the price is right. Now they have to be pretty low cost per unit. Like the one we have in Albuquerque is 36 units. Um, my son and I bought that one and we bought it for you know just under 42,000 a door in January which is pretty unheard of. I mean, it's, it's cash flowing day one. And so then um, how, do you, how do you make that happen? The, you know, the, the competing is, I think if you get the smaller, older buildings, a lot of the institutions don't like buildings that are 60s and 70s, they wanna be 80s and, and newer. So by focusing on a little bit older building, I think we can carve out a little niche there where we can um, pick up some things that are cash flowing and then become experts in that. And we have, we have been experts. We bought buildings as old as in the 40s and 50s. Um, and just, it just causes, you have to do a little more due diligence, you know, the inspection side, you have to make sure that the property is sound and the, the structure is sound. Um, and then realize that you might have to replace some plumbing, some underground plumbing is, can be a hassle. We've had to do that before, abandon underground plumbing and move it all above ground for uh, a chiller system that we have in, in that we had uh, in, in Tucson, that we sold that building, but we put all the, moved all the chiller plumbing above ground, which is a air conditioning system. It's a master system that is used in the South. Um, so by focusing, hyper-focusing on that age group, you, you bump out a lot of equity groups. And then also if there's vacancy issues, then that you bump out some more. The challenge is of course, then the financing. So uh, if it's highly vacant, you're looking at 10, 12% interest still for a, for a uh, private money, which is really high and that won't cash flow very well. So that what we're getting now is bridge debt. Um, until until we're fully stabilized 
And one of the reasons is a shorter escrow. You can get bridge debt to close quicker than a Fannie or Freddie loan. You can still get pretty good bridge debt. Then you have to decide, do you want to get locked in at an interest rate of you know, five and a half, or are you willing to do four with adjustable rate? Um, you know, because the rates are going up. We're seeing that. So in, if you do adjustable rate, then you have to decide, do you want to buy the cap to limit how much it can go up? The cap insurance is very expensive right now. So it just, you have to look at every deal yourself, you know, each deal independently and decide what makes the most sense for you. But we like the, we like bridge capital still. Yeah. And how are you sourcing your uh, deals for the most part? Uh, right now, the, the last few have been through brokers and one of them was, was listed on uh, LoopNet. So, you know, that's not a really active place to find multifamily. Um, it wasn't highly marked. It was not a highly marketed property. The other one is, uh, by the way, through brokers primarily. We've done a few direct owner purchases, uh, but they're more far and few between. So broker broker relationships are, are good. And one of the advantages, you try to buy when there's a, when there's an ice storm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because people are not flying in to look at it and you go in anyway and you drive around in that crazy weather. <laughs> so that's what, And then tell them, hey, what does it take to, to not do a call for offers? And then then you can get a deal that way. That's what we did on our last one. And uh, But timing that obviously is difficult on weather. And it's probably not a good business model. It's just a, a little bit of fun that we ran into. Yeah, I have a little bit of happenstance that actually happened yeah, to me on... Uh, my home that I actually purchased uh, right it drove right in the middle of a snowstorm and they were doing an open house and ended up working out a deal. Um, that's great. So, uh, so mostly brokers you're sourcing your deals from in, in terms of the competition, as you mentioned, you know, our um, niche within the multifamily industry, your thought is probably not going to be, you have to be careful, but um, in terms of, you know, the shortage of workforce housing and kind of the whole, the whole dynamics of the supply and demand imbalance, um, and obviously rising construction costs, tough to build, you know, oh, yeah. affordable housing. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives, and it seems like there's still a lot of runway with the type of products. And I buy, you know, my company Red Knight Properties. It sort of focuses on the same thing. I guess, um, have you seen competition kind of? dwindle a little bit on some deals or you mentioned you're going into a couple of new markets um, because of cash, you know, different business strategies. Um, you know, like what are you doing to set yourself apart? Is the market still crazy competitive as it was, you know, two, two months ago? Um, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of fall off. Just some groups are um, not bidding anymore, which is actually a good thing for the people who have been around for 20 years. So. And, and the question comes, you know, some people get nervous when the, you know, the market's hot, that's too hot. But then when it starts cooling off, they, they start looking at, wait, why are they not buying? What, what am I missing out on? And, and just remember to buy the cash flow. And then um, the challenge we're going to have really is, is if you're going to refinance out of a bridge product and hold it, because we're going to do legacy hold, uh, you know, hold it, but really no end date in sight. Seven to 10 years is, is our business model. But, you know, who knows where it'll be then? You know, throughout throughout the cycle of ownership, we'll decide: do we continue to own it, or we decide to sell? What's the opportunistic time? But uh, so the buying, trying to get in and out of the, the debt in two to three years, I think is is probably safe. But it, we're going to start running into you know 2025, 2026. We might start running into some lending issues, um, especially if the market becomes if the cap rates go up and interest rates continue to go up. It's going to squeeze out some some operators, and it's also going to cause some debt structure to change. We have to bring in a little more capital to close, um, which will be a challenge. You don't want to go come into a refinance and have to do a capital call with your investors and say, hey, we got a really good loan, but we got to bring in another you know, X percent uh, to get this loan. 
and it's, it's and it it's going to dilute their return. It's going to affect their ability. So you want to prepare for those times. The other thing that we're doing that's really been helping us is we're we've increased our expense expenses quite a bit. Um, you know, probably twenty percent over what it was a year ago or a year and a half ago, just because we're going to see expenses go up with inflation, and so we're over. You know, we're pushing our expense ratios, our expense uh, amounts up quite a bit. And I think that will help because then when it comes down to it, we realize that, hey, we still have a really good NOI. We can still get a really good loan because our expenses are less than projected. Because I see some people, some of the some of the operators are putting out numbers and they're not putting anything more in expenses. And I'm pretty surprised, actually, because expenses everywhere are going up. Utilities are going to start going up and costs of materials is high. Labor is going up. We're seeing labor go, go up actually quite quickly in, in some of the markets. So those are things that... I think if you put those right things in place and put it, if, it's, if people think it's going to go up 10%, put yours up 20% in your business model. Then when you actually have a, an NOI, you can cover a lot with uh, with a strong NOI. So I think that's very safe to do. Yeah, I agree with that. But Most as far people, as said, okay. you, your question was how are we setting ourselves apart? And, and that's setting ourselves apart to our investors. But as for the offers, if there's a call for offers, I've never won that. I've never won that bid. So the biggest thing is just get in, and ask the question that what does it take to not take a call for offers? And that's what we do. So between that and then um, you know, taking care of the investors on the expense, I think is very important. Agreed, agreed. And it's interesting you bring up the expense uh, ratios and you know cost per unit. And you know people have a bunch of different metrics they're looking at. Um, uh, is there anything that you're seeing in terms of any probably not any increased vacancy, you know, turnover is still pretty low if I had to imagine, um, you know, so it might wash itself out from a regular pro forma kind of pre uh, pandemic times. Uh, is, is that a fair assessment somewhat with you, what you're seeing, what's going on? I, you know, in my, for some of our models, um, you know, we're not projecting, you know, let's say 20% rent growth and then 10% expense growth. It's just, you know, we would never do 20% rent growth anyway, but um, how are you kind of managing that that balance between the two? Because um, you know one could offset your NOI growth really. Either lever could offset your growth really quickly. Yeah, and that's that's why the buying the cash flow on, um, on actuals is is what we're trying to do is is based on what is the best case scenario actuals and then what is the worst case scenario stress test and kind of find that balance. But the biggest thing is to purchase, to buy up fundamentals. You know, it's Warren Buffett's, you know, he buys stock on fundamentals. And I think that buying real estate on fundamentals is a much safer, especially in this stage of our cycle, of the cycle that we're in, that we'd be careful to buy on the fundamentals of the project. Is it cash flowing on actuals? And if it's not, why is it not? And then why is your business model actually going to work? And there's a, a guy that we met at a, at a conference in Dallas uh, last month, and he said that, he's on a deal that he's backing out of with his partners because they're putting 10% rent growth in Phoenix for the next three years, 10% each year. So it's 30%. And he says, that's he thinks that's dangerous. So he's pulling his money out of that deal with his partners. And I thought, wow, well, it could happen. You know, there's, there's high demand, but what people don't realize is, yeah, there's high demand, but if the interest rate drops, I mean, interest rate continues to go up and the cap rate goes up and vacancy is still high, but you can't you, you can't push that that lever indefinitely. You can't pull that lever indefinitely. You know how are they protecting themselves? And it's it's a it's a question that we need to ask because we're not going to see that rent growth indefinite. Um, people say there's so much demand it can't end, and I, I agree. Based on demand alone, 
there's there's no end in sight. We need this. But you and I know that if the interest rates go up to 6%, six and a half, if, if we start seeing mortgage rates going up to that rate, it completely kills the model. It's going to affect the value of the property. And it will. And if, and if materials are continuing to be high, it'll affect the ability to build. And if rents can't go up because you've already pushed it to the maximum of the market, you're going to have a problem bringing units to market. And that's that's going to trickle down to every level of, of, uh, of apartments. So I'm a little, I'm a little bit bearish on, on it right now, just because I do agree there's a shortage, but that in and of itself will not, is not going to sustain if the interest rates continue to go up. Correct. And, and for you, and we have some opportunities where, like you said, we're in this for the long haul. Some deals are different than others. So you can get in and out a little bit quickly, quit more quicker. But if you're forecasting, you know, especially over three years like that, maybe one year I'd say is okay, but uh, who the hell knows what's going to happen in two years. And then even after that, who, what were they projecting? You know, after year three, it's still 5%. I, it just, who, who knows? And that's a risky assessment. So I would tend to agree with um, your, your friend. Um, Bruce, sorry to cut this short, but what's the best way my audience can find you, reach out to you and learn more about uh, Bakerson? Oh, no worries on, on the time. It's, it's, it's fun to be on your show. And the uh, best way to reach me is bakerson.com, B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N. And I grew up in the bakery business. So I tell people I'm an SOB. I'm a son of a baker. Nice. Well, we got an <laughs> SOB on the show today. Uh, it, you know, it was a great time uh, chatting with you today, Bruce. And if you liked what you heard and or saw, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps Bruce and I get our message out to a greater audience. And, you know, I will have Bruce's uh, social media in our iTunes description, as well as on our social media. So feel free to reach out to Bruce directly and connect with him. Thanks so much for coming on, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. It was really, really nice to be on your show. Great.